0: I'm Nick Turzo, and you are listening to The Radical. This week's guest has a slightly different background and profession than my past guests. What's it like to be a principal audio engineer for category disruptors such as Beats headphones and electric truck company Rivian? We'll learn as Mike Carnes joins me to go deep on audio engineering on breakthrough products from his time as head of audio at Beats and Apple onto his current position designing complete audio environments for the innovative electric truck brand Rivian. From chimes, to warnings, to external sounds, to playback audio and phone integration, this is a fascinating discussion into the many challenges in automotive audio engineering. He also shares some of the best music to test audio playback systems with. Coming up, my chat with Mike Carnes. Hey, Mike, thanks for coming aboard. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. You've had some interesting roles around audio um, mm-hmm. as an engineer, and I, I look forward to kind of piecing this all together because it seems you keep finding yourself on the cusp of, companies that are really kind of redefining their spaces. Um mm-hmm. so it's interesting for me how you kind of end up in these positions. Um so I'm background, you are a musician, yes? Yes. Yeah, I've been
1: playing drums since I was like 12, Uh, but being a drummer, all the guitars and bass are always like in the house, so kind of always noodled around with those, took lessons for a while, you know, standard hubris of a drummer, it's like, I can play guitar better than you guys, and then I started to learn, I was like, there's no way in hell, Um, so yeah, I kind of play, like dick around, I started playing my bass again recently, and, uh, but yeah, it's fun, it's fun just to kind of, to play, I haven't really played seriously in a while, but yeah.
0: Did you have bands like during college and stuff or did oh, yeah. you do yeah, that, yeah. that route? Uh, literally from like a week
1: after I started playing drums, that was terrible back in the day, but like my grandfather played, my father played, I, my, both my brother and myself played. Um, yeah, I was been in bands like through high school, through college. Uh, when I moved to San Francisco was in another band and then moved down to LA. was in a, um, cover band with some, some guys that I worked with there. We're just kind of doing like eighties and nineties, like metal and, uh, like punk sort of covers for, uh, for work gigs. But, uh, yeah, just generally playing around.
0: Was it something you'd considered as a serious career at some point that you were going to try to go down that path, or with your education, did you always know you were going to have your day job?
1: No, no. The uh, I I always wanted to, to to go on tour and you know be in a band, and that, that would have been that would have been amazing. Um, that kind of just fell into the engineering thing. Uh, just started going to school, and then like wasn't really into it, and then like I went to a five year program after about about year three. When I made my first transistor LED circuit on, on, it was like, blink. I was like, oh, this is cool. Um, and was actually into it. Until then, I was like, yeah, I'm just doing this until my band picks up. And like, you know, at the time, those dreams were possible. Maybe, probably not. But uh, it was fun.
0: No, but you come from then a very supportive family as far as musical. It goes back, back, back. Um, yep. Um, Northeastern, you, your degree was in engineering, yes? Yes.
1: Yeah, electrical engineering.
0: Uh, very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you hope to do with that? Like, what? If from look, we'll talk about where you're at today. I don't know <laughs> if that's part of where you thought you'd be. Oh no! But no. back then, where <laughs> did you think you were going with it? I
1: I had no idea. Um, to be honest, I, I got into school just kind of started as something to do. It was just like kind of pick and go. I was I was good at math, not really good at much else. Um, and then kind of got into engineering. Uh, turned out I liked it, which was kind of a nice change, but a, a tough find about halfway through. Um, And then I was like, oh, this is kind of neat, but like with the music background and just being a musician and I was like, oh, I wonder if there's a way to kind of blend these over. It was either that or like robotics. I really enjoyed kind of building robots and stuff, too. Um, It was my first gig out of college was at a robotics company and then everything from there has been audio based.
0: Right. And I mean, Northeastern's in Boston, right? So there are kind of because of the MIT connection and stuff, there's kind of a big robotics world (laughs) there.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, it's huge. And uh, even um, Bose was in Massachusetts, and I was at Bose for a couple of years in the automotive side. Um, you know, Dr. Bose used to teach at MIT, so there's just a huge connection between there. Yeah, robotics, like, you know, Rodney Brooks and, like, the, the whole, like, robotics lab that's out of there. And, um, they did some really cool stuff.
0: How did you get to California then?
1: Uh, born and raised in Massachusetts, and then eventually I was like, I want to try something else. Um, so I made my way out In 2006 I moved to San Francisco got a job at uh, palm then making working on audio for cell phones so they did the palm pilot back then came out with the pre about a couple of years into it um, a few other devices and stuff obviously but uh, yeah just kind of, figured out how to get out here and then i was like just sick of winter
0: and on the palm pilot project i mean is that just more for voice audio i mean at the time we didn't have all these apps and music apps and Mm -hmm. i mean was it primarily your focus on audio just as us speaking to each other on a palm pilot
1: yeah yeah so it was all the telephony audio um of which there were a ton of regulations and rules and each of the carriers had different regulations that you had to meet and kind of conform to so it was interesting kind of learning that yeah i mean even the first palm uh devices that i was working on like the the trio and some of the 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 bigger ones they had a headphone jack but it was like the old school two and a half millimeter jack and people were like why would you listen to music on your phone um it was like right before the iphone came out until everyone was like oh that's why okay uh, and so it was interesting also to try and shift the kind of mindset away from like this is just a telephony device to be like no it's it's going to be a music player and it was even before like streaming services were really had enough bandwidth to be, do anything kind of useful so a lot of it was like files stored on your your phone or you know crappy mp3s and what can you fit into a couple hundred megabytes if that
0: right and i love my trio yeah I have to say, it's, I thought it was one of the great all-time phones ever. So. They
1: were they were super cool devices, actually. I really enjoyed working on them. And then when the pre came out, the one with the slider and stuff like that, yeah. the, uh, like that 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 device was just great, the webOS. And I was like, all right, we're really going to go somewhere. And then it just, everything crumpled.
0: <laughs> I mean, and back then, there wasn't much you could do with like, yeah, you know, let's say high-end audio or audio that took up bandwidth because processing wasn't on these devices at that time right i mean mm-hmm. they couldn't handle that
1: yeah yeah the processing i mean it was it was getting there um nobody was really thinking of it though it was kind of it was still a very separate sort of uh concept and idea to keep the high-end audio stuff away from like phones because they're like well it's going to sound like garbage through a phone you know the really narrow bandwidth kind of that old school uh the the narrow band, the 300 Hertz to four kilohertz is pretty much all they used. And then uh, kind of they're like, well, why would you use anything more than that? None of the headphones supported it. Anything that plugged into the phones was all, all for telephony base. So the microphones were garbage. The head, the speakers were garbage. Um, so it was during that transition, it was kind of tough to be like, no, no, no. People are, they're, they're going to use this and changing the circuitry. Even like we had these massive, like DC filter caps. So like, ah, no, one's going to listen to it. It doesn't matter. We don't want to use anything bigger because um, to, you know for lower bandwidth you have to have bigger capacitors and so they, they don't want to put bigger caps on so i was like no this is this is coming right
0: then did the iphone just rock you guys i mean when that came out i mean did yeah. it have the things you thought were coming
1: uh no and there was a lot of stuff that they they said they were going to be doing but like at first so the when the first one came out like iphone one um comparatively it was like okay you know beating iPhone isn't that hard. It's a really thin device. They don't have the depth for larger speakers kind of getting around it, but uh, Apple is really good at learning. (laughs) Uh, And so like, they figured it all out. Like, you know, the next couple of generations kept getting better and better and better. And so like, by the time we were like, oh, oh, okay. Now we actually have to like get on this, but they already had a lot of the headphone stuff with the iPods. Um, So that tech, they kind of just dropped in. So they had a lot of bits and pieces that they kind of take from, like we had to build everything um, sort of from scratch uh, and try to just go through with, you know, uh, with the, with the basics kind of first principles,
0: right? Now, how long were you kind of at HP and involved with that project?
1: Uh, HP bought Palm in, I want to say 2010 ish. Um, and we're keeping Palm on. And then about nine months into that, like into 2011, um, HP was like, ah, we're all done. We're shutting this down. So like everybody found out the same day. They were like, oh, we're, everybody's fired too. So, uh, it's, uh, but worked with, um, the the hp kind of audio stuff they had uh, a couple of laptops they had the the tablets um that they were doing and they already had uh communication with like beats audio um and they were they were kind of working with that and that's how i kind of met the whole crew down at, at beats before i started there and uh you know just going down and, and working with them but like at the time i didn't know who any of those people were people were like okay you got to get this tablet ready we're gonna bring it down to jimmy Iveen i was like who you know, it's like, oh, and the, here's here's some sample music you should use, like Sheryl Crow. We got Tom Petty, you got Bruce Springsteen, U2. I'm like, okay, that's really weird. And I was like, I don't know who Jimmy Iovine is. I looked him up and it's like, oh, it produced Sheryl Crow and Tom Petty and Bruce <laughs> All Springsteen. <of> those. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, he's done everything, okay. Um, yeah, so going down, and then after Palm uh, went down, I went to a small uh, startup in San Francisco, just kind of a design firm um, sort of engineers for hire. Uh, we're working on a few different audio things and because I had the contacts at beats every once in a while, I'd be like, Hey, uh, I got some new tech. Do you guys want to check it out? They're like, yeah, sure. Come on down I'd go down and kind of show it to them. And I was like, cool. Do you want to buy it? And they were like, Nope. And I was like, all right, see you next time, you know, and just kind of, uh, just, just head out from there. And then eventually they were like, "Do do you, do you want to talk about a job here? And I was like, okay. Um, yeah, It all fell into place.
0: So you became like director of audio there, I mean, at uh, Mm -hmm. at Beats. Um, Yep. Where were they on their like product cycle by the time you joined them?
1: Uh, I joined them beginning of uh, April 2013. They they were just about to launch the Studio 2 headphones. They had a few other ones kind of in the works. Um, At the time, they were hiring a lot of engineers to kind of backfill and bring in-house a lot of the engineering instead of Having it contracted out to the you know whatever manufacturer they're going to pair with, um, they did a lot with Monster at the time, um, but they were looking to bring that in-house to be able to control a lot more of the quality, a lot more of the sound. Um, so I came in right before the launch of Studio Two, the the ANC um, headphones, um, and then a few other products from there, and then was okay. You know, kind of looked at my background, in electrical engineering. I was like, oh, looked at the audio architecture. I was like what do you guys have now where the areas of improvement uh there were a few things just about like signal path integrity and they had multiple conversions like you know from from digital to analog back to digital back to analog and i was like gotta simplify this get rid of like fix up all the circuitry and make sure all the gains are maximized like the basic gain balancing stuff that like you know any any of the the sound guys are going to know how to do that be like okay make sure nothing's clipping make sure everything's like maximize levels but don't clip anything and just kind of uh, apply those sort of first principles to making sure everything's good and just identifying and be like, you know, what can we improve and then establishing sort of some objective measurements. Uh, audio is very subjective, but, um, you still need objective measurements for like presentation. It's easier to be like, ah, oh, next product, we'll fix this by, you know, this will be 60 db improved or this will be three D B improved, but it's like, okay. Customer doesn't know what that is, but like, it, it still helps. You need both.
0: Right. And I mean, do you find your contributions more on like a software side of the thing or actually with the hardware itself? Or if it is the hardware, like Mm -hmm. how are you guys able to really formulate how much you can push a piece of hardware for whatever kind of like engineering that has to go into it based on its form factor and stuff? Mm -hmm. Like, How does that work for an engineer?
1: Yeah, um, I always start because because I am an electrical engineer, I start on the electrical side and just make sure the circuitry is good. You kind of just like you build up layers of the foundation. So like the... um, Pyramid style, like you gotta make sure the base is good before you can put the next level on. Like, you know, is the circuitry good? Are the gains all maximized? Can you actually start? Can you plug in a speaker even like before that's even in there? Like, does the circuitry handle it? Like, putting a resistor load on a circuit and just testing the hell out of it. Like, you know, get an audio precision type test gear. There's there's a ton of different companies that make test gear. Um, be like, as is, is the distortion numbers good? Is the volume where we think are at? Do we have enough gain to be able to drive the speaker? You know, properly. Um, do we have the range? Do we have the bandwidth? You know, keeping everything else is—is is it clean? Is there background noise? And like, it's—it's it's surprising how much of that stuff is like—it's difficult to catch unless you like you get it get it from the beginning because once it's in there, you're you're pretty much hosed. Uh, so trying to, to maintain that. So that's always where I like I'd make sure the circuitry is good, put the speaker on it. So you make sure the electrical domain is good. Then go to the acoustic domain, put the speaker on with any of the enclosures. Um, and then go from there. Usually the acoustics, like the the straight acoustic stuff is kind of done. You can do that in parallel with the electrical and then kind of marry the two together Um, and then make sure all the the acoustic design is good as well. Like, okay, now we know we're driving it to the limit of the electrical domain. Like, are we overdriving the acoustics? Do we need to back stuff off? How do we adjust the gain from there? Um, And just make sure it, it all kind of plays well together. And then it's the, you know, apply the tuning on top of that, like make it all sound good.
0: Right, and on a headphone like that, where you're using it, let's mm-hmm. say on multiple devices, right? My laptop, maybe my—I don't know. Back then, could you plug it into a phone? I guess you could, or maybe, or was it, it wasn't Bluetooth yet? Was it, or not was yet. it back then? Um, yeah. So, how do you like deal? I mean, is there latency between the actual device and the headphone that you have to kind of mm-hmm. work on?
1: Yeah, the latency was definitely in there. Um, Bluetooth headphones—that's that's always a problem. The wired stuff is not. I mean. M- electricity moves pretty quick through a wire so uh, that's not really a problem but yeah when you get into bluetooth like latency does become a problem and um I think that's what kind of kills me about a lot of the you know the very the zoom based stuff and obviously no offense to you but like you know like at work with meetings and stuff and the with covid and everything being zoom based like the, the latency and like everybody's difference in echo cancellation and like their their setups at home like it, it, it kills me because they're not all the same they sound weird it's just like sometimes like those communications mess up like the ability for people to communicate and it's just like you know they you get the the, uh, the far side clamping down on the microphone signal to try to reduce echo but it it cuts off other people and they can't break in and so learning all that stuff like I just I having learned it all from you know from palm and from beats and it's a yeah makes it much much harder to kind of tolerate and be like come on it's
0: just it's not hard now please yeah the battle is real with zoom let me tell you doing it this way for me well, is yeah, I don't beyond that a struggle so <laughs> um, so did you during that time I mean were you able to i had hope you'd be able to get in the room with jimmy and with uh, dre on occasion and stuff like that or even trent reznor
1: um, yeah, actually, uh, the second time I had gone down to, to meet with Jimmy for the, the HP um, tablet that we had with the Beats Audio on it, um, I'm in there and I'm like tuning it and I had like a weird kind of like quasi-stable setup where it's like I had my laptop tethered to the, 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 the tablet through uh, Wi-Fi connection and that's how I was kind of modifying the tuning, like real time. And then that would crash and I'd have to reboot all three devices that were involved and I was like, this is a mess. I'm sitting there sweating working with jimmy and he's getting bored he's like you know he's he's a busy dude he doesn't really have time for like some some monkey to come in and not really have any idea what he's doing and then i'm sitting there sweating and then like i see a shadow in the door and i look up and i was like no it's like i i saw it like trent came into the room and like i had never met him before but i knew exactly who it was and i was like <laughs> oh no and then at one point i'm like trying to get it all going and like trent doesn't it's like hey no pressure, and I was like, "Really, you're gonna bust my balls too?" Like, I just, I was like, that made me laugh, and I was like, right, "I need to take a breath, I need to step back." Ooh. Actually, like from there, I was like, "Cool, calm myself down, got back to it, fixed everything up, was able to kind of to show it and stuff." Uh, I never actually got to meet Dre, unfortunately. Um, I saw him in the building once, and it was like, "Hey, there's Dre," <laughs> and the door shut, and I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, I, I, I talked to Jimmy a couple times. Um, the the Luke Wood, who was the president and CEO, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, he was like amazing in the industry and stuff too. And then getting to meet various like um, recording engineers, mixing engineers. Uh, there's a dude in London we used to go and meet with all the time. There was a couple mixing engineers in LA. Um, and, you know, they would they would take all of the products, Beats would, and, and just be like, look, we need you guys to listen to these, to check these out. Like, do they work? Do they sound good? Do you like them? Do you, you know? And then have different people audition them and it was interesting going to Beats because they weren't i mean they made consumer electronics but they weren't a consumer electronics company they ran their products like they would with any uh recording star
0: that's Uh, a lifestyle it was a lifestyle company or culture company yeah
1: Yep. but they even treated the product like it was a recording uh engine uh, not recording engineer sorry recording star as well so uh each of the products was treated like a new record from a new from a new uh, artist and they'd kind of come out and it was it was fascinating to watch because it was different than anything i had been involved with before and I think it was one of the reasons it worked I mean they had the industry buy-in and they had the names and uh and when they hired all of us like I was in this massive glut of hiring uh they hired pretty much all of the engineers that are even still there now um we're all hired about the same time it was kind of the end of 2012 beginning of 2013 they got a bunch of investment to be able to hire and so like they, they built up the team then and we we're like cool bring it in like let's do this for real and like keep making this better generation after generation so
0: yeah hmm. it's cool and did you um stay with them all the way through the acquisition by apple did you join apple then as part of that yep
1: yeah so uh, i started beats beginning of 2013 like april um and then apple bought us probably midway through 2014. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I was there beforehand, stayed afterwards. And then like during the transition, it was like the first year was like really bumpy and the second year is all right. And third year was a little bit bumpy. Like, you know, it's like you get this, the, the, this, this ringing sort of like, you know, like, like a tuning fork, the whole thing resonates. It's like these two massive bodies. Um, Apple beats was just huge in terms of like the, the market they were in. Apple is just a massive company kind of across the board. And so those two bodies kind of, kind of settling into orbit around each other. It was a, uh, it was pretty cool to see and a fascinating process. So, yeah, and I was there for six and a half years total. So yeah, I mean, I became an Apple employee right when they picked us up, uh, and they backdated my Apple employment basically to when I started with Beats. So technically, I was there for like six and a half years at, as an Apple employee. So yeah, it was wow, cool.
0: that's kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. That includes stock options backdated to then. <laughs>
1: Uh, we yeah. did get, st- like, there was a, a grant when they when they bought us. Like, you know, it was just kind of like a hey, thanks for hanging out. Uh, we'll make it worth your while. Stick around for a little while. Uh, and then th- they took good care of us. It was a. Uh,
0: That's fantastic.
1: But I didn't have any equity in, in Beats when they picked us up, unfortunately. I tried, right. but they were like, yeah, no.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, they needed it all. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. so they needed it all. So how did you. Now, this is the exciting part for me because what you're doing today. Mm-hmm. No offense to what that was, but to me, that's like my music business background. It's you know, it's a little bit old hat to me. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I first, my first attempt, my nascent attempt at blogging was doing a blog about, um, you know, basically sustainability. And mm-hmm. the main focus of it was electric cars, you know, in 2007 yeah. and eight. Yeah. So I was way ahead of it. Um, needless to say, I gave up on the blog because I think I don't think anyone was that interested in electric cars in 2007 and 8. Um, mm-hmm. So that brings us to today, where you're a principal engineer at Rivian, yep. which I think is the greatest pickup truck ever designed in the history of man <laughs> <Yeah. It's>, uh, <laughs> and this company great. is just such a great story and the ceo is really impressive and mm-hmm. so tell me how did that transition from apple to i assume to rivian happened is that or was there something yes. in between
1: no no that was that was it uh, um, pretty much straight back to back on those uh people i had worked with at palm actually were working at rivian at the time and so they were like oh we need an audio person and they they hit me up they're like hey you interested in a conversation i was like sure we can have a conversation um it talked about it kind of did some research on the company was really impressed with what they were all about then and kind of what they were aspiring to um and it was it was cool to see like i i wanted to get out of consumer electronics eventually um getting into automotive because at the time i was like oh you know i work on cars and stuff on the side i like i like racing and." you know, working on cars and I was like basically like a, an internal combustion engine is effectively like a, a fire breathing organ for uh, like this kind of organ, not like a heart or lungs organ. Um, this is my sign language for organ, by the way. <laughs>
0: um, and so, Meaning like, an instrument uh, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, yes, the instrument.
1: Um, so the uh, the acoustic design, because like it pulls in air, it outputs air. There's there's you know, it's you tune the exhaust, you get the uh, the pressure waves coming from the pistons. And i was like oh okay you can kind of tune that to be more musical you can tune that and then i was like looking into it but looking at all the racing specifications they were all like the fia um, was starting to have a lot more um, rules around upcoming electric racing series so formula e was out from like 2015 ish um and so that was already kind of going and then like i I was i'm really into like rally racing so like rallies they were started to be like little pop-ups it was like i was like oh that's interesting like how do you kind of modify the, the sound of an electric vehicle. Cause it's just going to kind of have that, that whine and whirr. And it's not going to have that like visceral sort of like, like grunt to it. Like I can always tell when there's like a Subaru round down the street, like you get that flat boxer four or like a Porsche, it's got the flat six. You always know, like, like a Corvette you get like a push ride V eight, obviously C seven and, and prior, um, or like, you know, some high strung, Italian V 10 V 12, like whatever that might be like, like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. But now it's like, you just hear like the that kind of haunted woo sort of thing of like a Tesla in reverse. It's like, okay, it's that. So it was just kind of interesting to like, think about like, oh, the sound of electric cars. That's cool. It's kind of this up and coming sort of field. And like um from rally racing, and also like from having a helmet on and not being able to hear some things about the car. Like when you lose touch of the sound of the car, like. I'd be driving and i was like why it feels like it's just acting weird and i'd be looking at the it's like bouncing off the rev limit it's like nang, 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 but i didn't know i just couldn't hear it and so like it's kind of lost track like if you lose track of the the sound of the car you you kind of miss what it's doing like um i really like the uh the ford versus ferrari movie where they're talking about the car like singing at 7,000 rpms and you're like yeah that's how you know you're like right on the limit you listen to the tires you listen to the engine and so but now it's like a different different thing it's like there are ways of doing that to include it but it's it's a it's not going to be the same don't necessarily know how to to make that like really um, easy to to gel between the the vehicle and the driver because a lot of it is new but i mean it's common. and the the electric the performance of electric cars is stunning obviously uh, you see like these all these hypercars now you're rolling like 15 17 19 100 horsepower you like you can't you can't do anything with like that like you can't get that to the ground it's like twelve thousand pounds of torque, foot pounds of torque, you're like, uh okay, still going to burn the tires off of it <laughs>
0: so. Um, so you get so you get the governor rivian mm-hmm. um the c e o it's r j. uh how do you pronounce the last scaringe Skaringe. scaringe Skaring. mm-hmm. you know this guy comes from r p i gets a doctorate in MIT at MIT, but I thought he went to RPI for his bachelor's degree. Um, oh, he may have. I'm sorry. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So he gets a doctorate at MIT. They have the Sloan Automotive Lab there, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and this guy works really hard for years and years and years to have to build all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then some of his, like your head of engineering came from uh, McLaren. Where did he come from?
1: Yeah, there were a few different people from over the place. McLaren was a big contributor in the early days. Um yeah, getting people in there and then different tech industries. And, uh, you know, a lot of the um, American automotive companies or influences and stuff from there, from all over and stuff too, you know, have, I think they got started in Florida and then eventually moved to Michigan. Cause obviously like you're going to work on cars in the States, like <laughs> Michigan's a pretty good place to start. Um, so yeah, they got, they got started there. I just liked what RJ was kind of thinking about what he was doing. Uh, and it was more than just the vehicle, like the vehicle, the specs were like pretty significant. And you're like, okay, cool. You see that you're like 750 horsepower. That's, it sounds pretty sweet in a pickup truck. And like, and they're, I think they're good looking vehicles. Um,
0: really good looking,
1: but even beyond that, like he was like, oh, we designed the batteries to be able to pull out, like after they've kind of, uh, you've gone beyond their really usable life in a car, they still maintain 80% of their charge capacity. So like they designed them to be, you could pull the batteries out of the vehicle, put them in a rack mount. And then like, those are sort of micro grids for, uh, for areas that don't have sort of the infrastructure for an electrical grid system, so you get solar power, you get you know whatever generators, and you get the, the older batteries can kind of drop in, and I like I like that sense of sustainability and kind of moving everything forward and kind of in, in keeping it kind of in line with that. And I just I thought it was really cool, and then I met him. He's like just the nicest guy I've ever met too. So it's fun. Yeah,
0: was that an easy process for you then, since you had colleagues there? I mean, to kind of transition into that. And yes.
1: Um, yeah. So, uh, having worked in robotics and electric motor drives, uh, out of college, uh, at Bose, I was at the automotive side there and then consumer electronics and audio. It was like, I was getting ready for this job, my, my previous career. Um, so, but having the, the, the crowd, cause then I was like getting back to like, you know, when I was doing the research and I was like, what do I want to be doing electric sound of electric cars? I was like, oh, cool, I would like to work on the sound of electric cars. And then previous colleagues, they're like, you know, they hit me up and they're like, Hey, do you want to work on the sound of electric cars? And I was like, weird yeah I do um, you know went in met some people did some interviews and then I was that was pretty much it the process went down pretty quick and then uh yeah.
0: and do your responsibilities really deal with more the sound of like so a driver gets the feel of the car are you saying that you're also involved with like actually the sound components inside the car for any of the entertainment systems and all that so what's your mm-hmm. what's your folio so to speak
1: yeah it's it's kind of all. I work on all of the sound interactions with the vehicle, and that sounds kind of large and pretentious, but it's uh, it's, it's the audio playback system. So, the stereo, you know, listening to, to audio. Um, there's the AVAS, which is the acoustic vehicle alert system. So, the pedestrian kind of warning that, like, oh, there's a car moving, like, like I was mentioning, that the Tesla in reverse, that kind of like that haunted sort of sound, like those are regulations that are coming in for, uh, so they're not a risk to pedestrians or help reduce the risk, rather. Um, uh, any of the microphone interactions, inputs, and then, um, like third-party virtual assistants, uh, you know, like, uh, Google or Siri or Alexa, um, interfacing with any of them as well. Uh, and then audio accessories in the vehicles, excuse me. So working on pretty much anything that makes noise intentionally is kind of the, the, the delineator that I use. So there is like the noise vibration and harshness like, uh, NVH that typically goes into automotives. So they're kind of like, reducing accidental noise and um, kind of to help optimize sort of the uh, intentional noises
0: right and how do you um let's just talk about you know maybe the sound system part of this in the vehicle um mm-hmm. it's a luxury car i mean you're tipping high fives for this thing yeah. um and there's an interesting component to it that i want to talk to you about because there's something and i'm hoping you designed it but uh, What's it like in an electric car? What's the difference, like, on the sound requirements? I mean, the car is so quiet anyway. I mean, you don't have an engine running. Um, What's the difference, like, from a traditional gas combustion engine car?
1: For the most part, when you're driving, they're not too different. Um, A lot of the... uh A lot of the the noises like when you're actually on the highway would be more wind, tires. The engine really isn't that much of a component. So on the highway, it's not not super different. Um, but like you know, just kind of putting around town, like under forty miles an hour or so, it's actually like it's much quieter in the cabin of an electric vehicle. Um, there are there are particular sounds that go with it, but like you don't get that general sort of like that low uh, noise floor that kind of comes with it. Uh, so you notice a lot more things, like you notice fan noise a lot more. You notice sort of the motors themselves. They all sort of uh, they have a ringing to it, like the you know the coils inside kind of sing a little bit, um, and so like you, you kind of notice all of those sounds. So it's like okay, you can control the noise floor and bring the noise floor up to help mask some of the other sounds, and um, sort of to work within that. It is particularly quiet, especially like if you're just sitting in the vehicle, like not going anywhere. Um, making sure that like the audio, is, there's no noise, make, there's no hiss, there's no distortion. Uh, just making sure that it's and it plays really nice and low. And, um you know make sure it the the kind of target is always like the stereo should be or the the audio system should be capable of playing quieter than anyone's going to really listen to and be playing louder than anyone's really going to be listening to and then targeting that sort of like gaussian distribution in the middle like most people are going to listen about this level if you really want like you know ear bleeding sort of output like you can crank it up like yeah set it to you know 11 and then uh, go from there that's a that, that's been one of the the main things too it's just kind of making sure it all sounds good and then like um a lot of like the some of the automatic features like the noise compensation like, like a lot of cars have the speed controlled volume control speed dependent volume control rather um that will change the audio playback levels based on you know how, how loud how fast you're going to compensate for road noise and um there's not a lot of like noise and stuff going on like there's you know you get wind and tire and stuff but uh like if you're missing an, an engine r- rumbling at like 2500 3000 rpms underneath, it's like. You didn't think it was that much of a contribution, but it really turns out to be like significant. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah, it's it's neat there. So you have to be a lot more controlled, contained, I think, than an ICE engine. You get a little more, uh, I won't say slop, that's not the right word, but you get a little more, I think, tolerance for um, kind of little bit messy bit in with an ice engine or uh with an ice car
0: right and i'm like this is a competitive space right and rj talks about even this being a branding exercise for him in a mm-hmm. way yep. and being a brand at this level and the competitiveness of it and it's the new frontier mm-hmm. um is there like a sonic branding that goes on like even with like the chimes or the <laughs> warnings or do you have your own mm-hmm. versions of all that stuff
1: oh yeah yeah we had to go through create Every single uh, excuse me, every single sound from scratch. Uh, we work with uh, you know a couple of different co- companies that design the sounds for us and go through and then audition them and work with the UI UX teams. And be like, is this what we intend? Does this have the correct sort of feeling to it? So it's like you know sometimes if it's just like oh hey man your, your seatbelt's not connected or um, a lot of these vehicles electric vehicles have the uh, the drive the advanced driving um, controls a uh, ADAS instead of like compared to a VAS like the ADAS stuff. So that's when it's like, hey, you need to take control. Like if you have it in the automatic driving mode, it's like when it needs to tell you, you need to take controls back or if there's something coming up, some of the warning sounds like, is this a warning sound? Like you don't need to scare the pants off somebody if it's just like a blinker, but like, you know, if there's like a front collision warning or uh, something else happening, blind spot, for example, uh, you definitely need to to let them know. And so it's not even just the sound, but um the the chime that happens for a particular event but what do you do with the uh, the rest of the audio streams that are happening at the same time like if you have navigation and alexa responses and you know audio playback like what do you do with those when you're supposed to be hearing these chimes and so controlling like you know you're dropping the levels down a little bit to hear them like sometimes you don't drop it at all sometimes you drop it a little bit sometimes you drop it a lot sometimes you mute the stream altogether. Um, depending on priority severity so you have to work with the various teams to figure out kind of what goes where and when and how and so it's it's a it's a it's a delicate dance but uh it's it is a lot of fun wow. i enjoy it
0: and does the uh who's the guys that run the car thing is it the nhs or whatever who runs the who's responsible for safety uh, the yeah. highway? nh
1: the nhtca yeah nhtsa
0: yeah I mean, do they have a, any say in that what goes on inside the cabin or is that not their realm so no, uh,
1: that's not okay. their realm um the only thing like uh like NHTSA or any of the regulatory bodies would talk about is uh the AVAS on the outside and then um if there is like a, like OSHA would chime in for like work vehicles so we're making you know we're working on delivery vans it's, it's not a surprise um and so those they have OSHA regulation requirements and so like the audio system can't play above 80 decibels as like the average it's like the standard like oh my eight hour job can't exceed 80 db spa um, decibels, uh, and then you know over the the, the SBLA over the time of the the day of the the shift, uh, and so it's kind of neat. So like the the van has to to conform to that. The vehicles don't. Um, a lot of it's just kind of like making sure it's a good user experience. Like, do we get the the feeling across for the particular sounds? Like, and we can't drown out the music, but we have to you know give proper uh, importance to each of the signals as they come in.
0: That's cool. And in the pickup truck, I saw there's like a pop out like Bluetooth speaker that you can mm-hmm. take outside on the truck. It's mobile. Um, does that work with the sound system when it's in the truck?
1: No, nope. no, it's, a, it's so a it doesn't. Thing. It's
0: independent. Did you design that whole thing?
1: Uh, I worked with a bunch of the teams for that and stuff, too. Yeah. So I was involved pretty early on with with that as well. Um, so having you know come from from consumer electronics and doing the speaker stuff, they were like, hey, here you go. And I was like, oh, OK. Like there wasn't enough to already learn the, the the company when I started. So, but yeah, taking that on, that's a really cool little product that goes with it. Um, great little accessory, uh, it, yeah, it pops out, plays music, And then it's like, you know, it's, it's waterproof, uh, basically it's IP 67, IPX 67. Um, so like you withstand, you know, you can submerge it for up to half hour in a meter of water. I was like, eh, it's close enough to waterproof. You know, uh, it's not like forever sort of thing, but, uh, you wouldn't want to put it in space but it, it works well enough for for like you know campsite at the lake you splash you leave it out in the rain like you know just the dumb stuff that happens or like you just uh involvement there so it, it's really cool little lantern built in plays audio sounds really good uh yeah for a little box and it's like a really decent stereo feel to it so like it works for it you know you're hanging out and put it like at a barbecue but like if you're just listening to it it's it sounds Sounds pretty tight, and I'm not just saying that for drinking the Kool-Aid. It's a, it's a it's a cool little device, and especially with the integration where it charges with the vehicle, all the, uh, the software is updated through the vehicle. Uh, you can yeah, just pull it out when you're ready and then go from there.
0: Is it in both the SUV or just in the pickup truck or just in the pickup truck? It will be in,
1: uh, depends on the trim level, but it, w- it is an option in both.
0: It's fantastic. I love yeah. that thing. It was my my favorite little thing I saw. It's like, that's mm-hmm. a good magic trick. Yeah. And so the difference, like you kind of touched on it a little bit, like the difference between the commercial vehicles um, Mm -hmm. and kind of these higher end consumer cars. Um, I mean, what all goes into the audio in like a commercial vehicle? I mean, is it minimal or has it gotten more complex because of systems that maybe these companies want to track these drivers and their productivity and all that stuff?
1: that's all there the the tracking the productivity and the driver monitoring Um, that's all there but uh the playback system is pretty minimal excuse me just a you know a couple speakers kind of just take care of the basics it'll do stereo that's pretty much it uh all the phone calls telephony but then the voice interactions obviously uh with the the partner that we have for the vans um they have their own voice assistant so like accessing the voice assistant so there has to be good integration with the microphones they have to play well um Kind of within the system uh, be able to do that and it's it's they don't put a lot of emphasis on that because it's not meant to be like a pleasurable vehicle like oh it should sound great so when i'm driving like like the doors will be open most of the time and you're just driving like from like a few doors down and dropping some more boxes off in and out of the vehicle um so but you know still trying to to push that be like it's easy enough just to throw like a subwoofer or something like like a larger woofer in the cabin like doesn't have to sound great but you know basic 2.1 type of system like You can, you can make it sound pretty good for not a lot more money, but when they're kind of cutting everything, especially when they buy so many of them, it's like, okay, they don't want that. That's fine. We'll do that. Do
0: you guys ever see yourself going down the path of like these high end audio packages, you know, whether it's Ram with Dave Cobb, the producer, Dave Cobb or Mm -hmm. Mark Levinson for Lincoln or wherever he does his these days. Do you guys ever see that kind of a branded system or not really in the cards for Rivian?
1: don't know there's a there's a lot there um, you know we do have a branded partner now um, it's it's been kind of discussed uh, but you know with the the really high- end ones like yeah like Burmeister or something like that for for Porsche like the the really high-end ones um, still trying to explore it We're still trying to figure it out like we we don't know everything's sort of uh, we so we have the branded one for the premium system the base level would just be kind of the you know by Rivian effectively um, I would love to think that we can do everything ourselves, but you know, I I, I know that's not the true the truth. So, uh, trying to find a good partner that would that would work within that. Uh, I think, but right now, uh, our system sounds really really good. Uh, pretty excited for it to come out. So, we'll uh, we'll see what happens later. But right now, it's working well.
0: Yeah, are all those components built inside? I mean, or do you have to source things from other countries?
1: <laughs> uh, they're sourced from all over the world. Um, so everything's uh, the vehicles and stuff are all assembled here in the states. A lot of the components are built everywhere. Um, so it might be U S it could be Korea, it could be China, you know, where, wherever the, the manufacturing of the particular components takes place. And then we put everything together. Um, you know, we buy a lot of stuff from the, the standard U S suppliers, the, the European vehicle suppliers, it's like, you know, wherever we can and then go from there. But uh, a lot of the, the, the audio components and stuff, we, we just kind of purchase. We don't make any of that ourselves.
0: Got it. That makes sense. And so as an engineer and a sound engineer through these years, a mm-hmm. principal engineer now, as they say, yep. I suppose that's an elevated position being a principal engineer. Yep. As I mean, um, do you have many patents? I have a, a
1: couple from Palm, but uh, really beyond that, like, I think I had three um, about, you know, random. Uh, it was basically like t- improving telephony or echo cancellation blah 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 I don't know um, when I went to Apple they were like yeah we don't really file patents unless you like you have some like really baller idea but like none of the stuff that we were working on really kind of uh, it wasn't at the research level we were kind of doing more execution um, so there wasn't really a lot of room to get patents. so I haven't I haven't filed a patent since probably 2009 um, yeah. You don't really need them to, to make a thing sound good, so I was just kind of like, yeah, just keep pushing forward. Um, since we're buying a lot of the stuff anyways, we're not really kind of setting any, we're not breaking any uh, crazy barriers or boundaries or, or world records on on any of that. It's all pretty well established. Like uh, acoustics hasn't really changed much in, in 150 years, so trying to trying to live within that.
0: Right, that's awesome. And is there one? You know, with these different APIs around each person's you know, CarPlay or whatever we have here, mm-hmm. all these different systems now. I mean, is one better than the other? <laughs> you don't have to answer that if you're going to get in trouble. Are they all pretty equal?
1: They're all pretty equal. Uh, all pretty equal. Um, yeah, I, it, it kind of depends on, I think, what you're used to. Uh, if you have a whole ecosystem built around one or the other, like, you know, I I have a bunch of Apple stuff because, I, I you know, it's from Apple, like MacBook, iPhone, all that stuff, uh, the Linux stuff, I think is is just, just as good. The uh, kind of like, and if you have the 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 Android like Linux side of things as opposed to like the the Apple, which is the Unix, and then it's like you know, is Linux and Unix really that different? I'm sure the 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 true believers would would be like they're totally different, but I'm like, yeah, I'm a level abstracted from that. So a bit of bit of ignorance on my part, admittedly. Um, I don't I don't think there's any real difference in in the in either of the the systems, they're both they're both good, to be honest. Just kind of making sure they uh they but we have to test both of them, kind of to both extremes, and make sure they do both like work within the, in the vehicle like uh so, that that is important. You can't favor one over the other. They both have to be equal.
0: Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to ask what your go to is here. Hang on a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was an A and R guy, no matter what we did, you know, we'd work in A and M studios to get these records. You know, which is one of the greatest recording studios, ever. But the thing we did was we always took the mix our car and we put mm-hmm. it in and listened to it in the parking lot outside of the studio. Yep. Um, so I just want to ask you, is there a go-to artist you use when you're kind of <laughs> testing this stuff out?
1: Yeah, uh, not, not go-to necessarily, but like just in the, the standards, you get like, you get the toolbox. Um, you know, it's like the various sort of things. I mean, my, my personal preference is all around. Uh, mostly like like hard rock metal punk um but i listen to like a ton of stuff i listen to hip-hop i listen to jazz I listen to, to rock um you know I'll, I'll dig on some vivaldi as well like so it's it it kind of runs the gamut but um in testing i'll i'll run through all of these things too so it's like you know or listening to like carmina Burana and then kind of jump over to like um like the latest migos track like that their song straightening is like absolutely murder subwoofer so like yeah which is like a great demo um track but it's like you know pink floyd's money is always a good one to fall back on too so it's like you i i can't stand using hotel california but pretty much all of the other the the, the other tracks i mean it's like you know jennifer warren's bird out of wire it's like you know kind of some of the old ones some of the new ones like but listening to stuff like really high uh visibility vocals like adele um uh, billy eilish like listening to any of that like those are those are great tracks. Uh, I listened to Taylor Swift's 1989 a lot um for some of the beat stuff that was around that, that same launch time. And so it's like, you, you listen to what's out or like high produced stuff, like Rise Against, I find is really good for like that, like kind of the maxed out, like really like uh high production value. I love Rise Against, but like the high production value, like really just kicking the hell out of compressors and um, there's a couple of tracks that really torture compressors and stuff as well. So, like being able to test that, you just have to you have to
0: pick and choose. That's awesome. I love yeah. there's this whole range. I would hope so. Oh yeah. So that's great. Well, my friend, thank you. I really appreciated your time today. I yeah, can't no, wait to to one day get in line to own one of these trucks. Uh, I hope out. I have the money one day that I can do this. So yeah. uh,
1: they're fantastic trucks, and I'm not saying that just because I work there. But having driven them, I was like, man, this it's just, it's a really, really nice machine.
0: Yeah. You don't have to tell me, man. I'm in, I mean, I am, I've been in yeah. for like, I don't know how many years on this Rivian. So, yeah.
1: uh, yeah, obviously I if just, you were paying attention back then, I mean, that's even before like Tesla really got rolling with a roadster. Or, yep.
0: Absolutely. So, um, cool. Well, thank you so much. This has been fascinating. Yeah. So thanks, Nick. I appreciate the time. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate your time. Stay healthy. You will do. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This show originates from the podcast capital, Austin, Texas. My producer is Sean O'Neill. Visit theradicalpot.com for updates and even some merchandise. Also, please subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I also ask that you please share episodes with your friends so we can continue to grow our community. See you all again next Friday.